Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Hey there, brothers and sisters of New Providence. I'm messaging you from beautiful Spokane, Washington. Uh, most of us don't know each other. My name is Rob Gilligan. Um, my parents are Bob and Suzanne Gilligan. Um, and my sister Becky. Uh, I grew up in New Providence in the 80s and the 90s, and at that time my family was part of New Providence Presbyterian Church for many beautiful years. And uh, Pastor Mike reached out to me and um, asked me to share with you some of my story today. Um, About 15 years ago, my family was visiting New Providence. Uh, I was in about my early 20s, and uh, my sister and I went over to the church uh, just on a weekday to visit uh, Pastor Mike in his office and um, catch up. And while my sister and Mike were chatting, I remember the Holy Spirit uh, just prompting my heart and um, saying, hey, let's go take a walk down memory lane together. And so I kind of wandered off and started walking through the church and through the halls and I found myself upstairs um, and I saw the classroom right there in the middle that faced uh, Springfield Ave and um, I opened the door and it looked so much just the way I remembered it and my heart just exploded. Um, I sat down in the chair and I just started weeping. Um, Tears of joy, tears of gratefulness, tears of love and um and then I got a phone call from my sister and and she's like hey where'd you uh, wander off to and I said oh I'm upstairs in the classroom and so her and Mike came up and they found me there just sitting in the chair little kid's chair just still weeping and they're like "Are are you is everything okay and um I said yeah you know it was it was right here what happened and I said I was sitting in this classroom and I remember just my friends dads uh, Pete Morrison and Bill Ferris up at the class in front of the class and they were teaching me the good news of the gospel of Jesus and it starting to make sense to me as a little kid in Sunday school and um, and I realized how much Jesus loved me and that um, he died for me and that he wanted me to walk with him for the rest of my life. And, and it was really just starting to click for me. And I just, I remember in my heart and in my mind, I made the choice that I love Jesus too and um, I wanna follow him. And from that day forward, I never looked back. Um, I have been walking with Jesus my whole life and he has done amazing things in me and through me uh, for his kingdom here on earth and um, I just wanted to encourage you guys about that and um, the Lord also highlighted uh, his parable uh, when he was teaching about the mustard seed as it compares to the kingdom of God and how it is one of the smallest seeds and yet um, can end up growing to be the biggest plant in the garden 
and has really large branches that reaches out um, that takes care of many birds and provides shade and so forth and um, you know back when I was in Sunday school at New Providence Presbyterian Church um, that seed was planted in me and um, has done incredible things and continues to do so and um, we have the opportunity to uh, serve our children and teach them the good news of Jesus um, and plant that plant that seed of faith and um, and grow the kingdom here on earth and so I wanted to say amen church and thank you so much for investing in me and investing in the children um, of, of our next generation and for many to come. What's more important than that? You know? I mean, especially for us adults, wherever we are on the spectrum of our walk with Christ, we know him well and we're deep in him or we have no clue. At the end of the day, it seems to me, it's about the next generation. And if you're a parent, and I am, if you're a grandparent, I am. If you're in ministry, we all are. None of us are off the hook. We long for that for our kids. And not just our kids or grandkids, but the kids of the next generation. And not just the ones whose parents go to this church, but for the whole generation. Scripture's very clear. Child, when a child gives his heart to Jesus, when he hears the gospel and it clicks, it makes sense. A life has changed forever. And the ripples in that pond go on and on into this generation and the next and the next. That's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. Like it did with Rob. When I reached out to him about a month ago, I knew that story because I was here and it's true, but I didn't know what I was going to get. And he and I haven't actually kept that close in touch over the years. And I sat on my back deck at the manse and kicked that on my phone and we just cut to the heart. How is it, how is it that God would come into the life of a young man like that through a simple Sunday school story? It's powerful. Powerful things happen when the Holy Spirit and parents, and grandparents, and Sunday school teachers, and salt leaders, and senior interns, and you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, come together to share the truth with the next generation and the next. And we've seen the results of that over the years here. And long before I came here, these last 32 years have not been about, certainly not about me and Amy. It's been about the work of the Holy Spirit. And part of what attracted Amy and me here over 32 years ago was a longstanding track record of this church doing whatever it takes to reach the next generation with Christ. That was apparent to me as we considered coming here. And over the last 32 years, we've seen thousands of students come to Jesus get serious about their faith. As culture goes this way, there are, there is a new generation willing to pay the price. And there are parents 
and this is a church, and there's, there's zero pride in this for any of us willing to pay the price to make sure that these students have what they need to chase after Jesus. And for you and me to be part of that, the operative word, I shared it last week, I've shared it with my teams, with senior interns, and I'll say it again, it's a privilege. None of us have a right to be in ministry of any sort, but it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a parent. It's definitely a privilege to be a grandparent and to be in ministry together. It's a privilege afforded us by the Holy Spirit himself who calls us in to ministry. And it, it just doesn't get any better than that. When you step into the river of God's will for you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, part of his river of will for you is to help the next generation know Christ. None of us are off the hook. And after 32 years of living in Jersey, and I love it here, and we'll be back a lot to play with our grandkids, um, I still don't understand. And, and I'm not from here originally. I grew up in the Midwest. I'd never set foot east of Chicago, like ever, till we moved to Philly. And, and it's different even than up here, and I love it here, but how could it be that here we sit in the center of the most dense population of teenagers in America, and there's the least amount of youth ministry? I mean, you've, you've heard that out of my mouth before. And I leave here after 32 years still not understanding it. So God has lit us up in many ways, and there's zero pride in that. But there should be a thousand churches like ours. And there are in other parts of the country. Amy and I started in Fresno, nondescript Fresno, California, in the middle of cotton fields and fig orchards and all that. And there was a, a church with a student ministry way bigger than ours on every street corner. How could it be here? And that's where I want to explore a little bit this morning. Now, we're in the middle of a three-part message, a Flavin trilogy, as Jeff <laughs> described it. And again, as I mentioned last week, I figured a passage here, a passage here, a passage next week, drop the mic and we're gone. And... Um, God had other plans. We're going to drill deep for three weeks running here in one verse, one verse. And, and only the Bible would afford that. You know what I mean? You could spend a lifetime in one verse. So we're spending three weeks. And it's from Daniel 4.3. And here it is. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. We looked at that last week. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, last week, we looked back, and I shared with you 10 highlights from our time here as we've seen the Holy Spirit do his signs and wonders among us. But this morning, and for the rest of our time here, I'm done looking back. I mean, I like telling stories, but we're done looking back. I mean, you read through Scripture, and God honors the past, but he's way more focused on what is to come. You know what I mean? And the end of that verse is not like, oh, the history of 
my revealing myself to generations. It's not that. It's, it will endure. It's future-oriented from this generation to the next and the next and the next until Jesus comes again. And that might happen this afternoon or it might not happen for a thousand years. But whatever, God is determined to plant the gospel of Christ in every generation squarely. And you've heard the old adage, we are one generation away from Christianity being extinct on this planet. And that adage, that line, has scared me to death over the years. Until I realize that the ball's not in my court, it's not on my back, it's on the Holy Spirit. It's up to the Holy Spirit to make sure that Jesus is known in every generation. And our job as parents and as a church is to come together, along with students, to partner with the Holy Spirit. That's our job. And I believe we've done that, but what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? And that's what I want to look at for the few moments we have. Now, the word generation appears a couple of times at the end of that verse. That's a word that appears a lot in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for generation is dar, dar, referring to a group of people in a particular time in history. And there is a particular group of people that I'm going to describe in a couple of moments to us who are here among us. They weren't here 23 years ago. But they're here now. And who are they? And how does Christ want to be known by them? This verse, Daniel 4.3, says his dominion endures from generation to generation. God's dominion. It's always interesting to me that there's words in the Old Testament English words translated from Hebrew that we don't use very often. I bet you never used the word dominion in a conversation this last week. You know what I'm saying? So I always think that's interesting and, and special and important. What does dominion mean? Dominion, mashel in Hebrew. It's a word of great consequence, dominion. Great power, authority, jurisdiction, control, sway. It moves something from what was to something that would intend be intended to be. And it goes on and on and on. Enduring. It's another power-laden word, a verb. Enduring forever into the future. And the question before us this morning I want to throw out for a moment is how, how will God do that? How does he intend to do that in the midst of a culture unlike any we've seen before? As every culture along the way is. You know, I remember in the 60s, barely, but I remember it. And, and you know, it just seemed like everything was new under the sun. But it wasn't. Not, not really. How will God's kingdom how will his dominion endure in this generation and through to the next how will god's moshel come to this generation or put another way what might ministry to children and students look like over the next 10 15 years you know we're wrapping up hard to believe we're wrapping up the first quarter of the 21st century i remember i remember when i stood before you a long time ago 
and said, you see this confirmation class? They're the class of 2000. And I heard a gasp, like, class of 2000? How could that be in 1996 or whatever it was? And here we are now, wrapping up the first quarter of the 21st century. And among us are a generation, the likes of which we've never seen, living in a culture the likes of which, in many ways, we haven't seen either. Where is the ministry to the next generation going? I mean, this is important for for us as parents, as grandparents, as a church, especially you, New Providence Presbyterian Church, especially you. Where are you going with this? You know, this is a transition moment for a church that has been serious about reaching the next generation for Christ. And again, there's no pride in that on behalf of you or me. Zero, really. That's not, there's no pride in that because it was God. And it will be continued to be him. The stakes are incredibly high. We are awash in teenagers here in this area. And there aren't a lot of churches that have seemed to crack the code or to even try. And I don't get it. So where is this going? I I think there could not be a more important question before us as we head into a new school year and a new season of ministry. A few years ago, a good friend of Amy's and mine, uh, a well-known author, speaker, Mark Matlock, he actually was president of Youth Specialties for a number of years, and he wrote a landmark book about the current generation of students. And we, I was so taken by the book, and I had chatted with him. I knew it was coming. He gave me a, an advanced copy of it to read, and I was so pumped about it, we as SALT leaders read it and digested it. And one of the great things about this book was it didn't just expose the issues and the challenges before us, but it looked at best practices around the country. How, what churches around the United States are doing well with this new generation and this new culture and situation. And the title said it all. I commend it to you. Sorry I don't have it up here on the screen. We'll get it up on the corner um, tomorrow. But the title of the book is Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus. And here it is. In a digital Babylon, Mark Matlock, Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in a Digital Babylon. Now, I'm not going to unpack those five ways for you. I, I commend the book to you. But Matlock, in the book, states that this generation, Gen Z, as it's been kind of nicknamed, lives in a digital Babylon just as antithetical to the ways of God as Daniel did in a physical Babylon. That's why it was so great for, for Audrey to preach from the book of Daniel a couple of weeks ago. I commend that message to you. Daniel, in a pagan environment, stayed with his God. Matlock makes the point that your son, your daughter, if they're born within a certain number of years, and we're going to talk about this in a second, your grandchild, 
the children of this church, of this community, are in a digital foreign land, a digital Babylon, which cannot just suck them dry, it could kill them spiritually in other ways, as it could have Daniel, but it didn't. And it won't here either. If we don't turn our back on the opportunity ahead. The question at the center of Matlock's book and at the center of what we must focus on as we head into the next chapter of youth ministry. And by the way, Amy and I, we're not going to go work for a church um, after this, but I am taking all my youth ministry books with me and I've got some opportunities ahead that I'll share with you another time. So we're in this together. You know, how are we and plus, we have grandkids in this generation. So how are we going to go about this? How can we help our kids not just survive, which is the essence of Matlock's book, but to thrive? How can we help our kids know Christ and the power of his resurrection in a world gone haywire? And it has gone nuts. God so loved the world, but he must just be sitting up there doing what I'm doing. Like, what the heck, you know? What is this? What is this? How can we in the church and parents and grandparents and Sunday school teachers and salt leaders and all the rest help our kids? And here's the word. This is a word that our denomination loves. In fact, they're about to create a new school with this word in the name, our denomination is. It's very exciting, by the way. We'll all share it with you another time. But it's pretty amazing. Flourish. How can we help our kids flourish? There's a word you didn't use this last week either. Flourish. It's a good word. Let's start using that word. How can we help our kids flourish? It's nice to even say. Flourish. Well, I think we start by understanding who they are. You know? It's one thing to grab a bunch of kids, sit them down, fold your hands, and go like this. It's something else to go down and sit beside them and get to know them. And there's some people in this room that do that very well. Very well. God has gifted us with some exceptional people to help guide us into how to know and understand and listen to this new generation. Now, who are they? Most scholars that study generational things say that the current generation was born somewhere between 1999 and 2015. So think of the kids that you know um, and, uh, and who they are and through that period of time. Labeled Gen Z, and this surprised me, and I don't really know how this compares to my generation, baby boom. I always thought we were the biggest. <laughs> But apparently, there's more of them. With maybe a broader spectrum of years, maybe there's just more people on the planet having kids. I, I don't know. But the research that's been done by Barna and others suggests that there's 70 million of them here among us in America. And not only are there a lot of them, Gen Z has grown up in a culture incredibly different from that of their Gen X and millennial parents and us baby boom grandparents. Very different, very, very different. 
They've been shaped by forces unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so it's no wonder that the following trends about them are true. First, they are, and you've heard this term before, screenagers. They're digital natives. They never remember a time that there wasn't screens. I do, you know? If you're like me, you're a digital immigrant. And computers drove me nuts, let alone trying to figure out an Apple computer. I called my daughter at one point and I go, I'm gonna throw this off the back deck unless you bail me out here, you know? <laughs> and she did, and I didn't. Um, they're connected, they are Gen Z at all times. And when they're not, when they're not, um, they experience feelings of anxiety. It's a strange thing. It was, it was refreshing and wonderful to watch a bunch of Gen Zers deal with maybe not being plugged in all the time down in Mexico, you know? Um, now, sadly, there was internet available down there and other kinds of things, but I noticed kids were trying to pull themselves off that and just enjoy each other's company and the task at hand of building a house. And, and you, could see, you could see that being enjoyed, you know. Secondly, Gen Z, their world is, is post-Christian. And that comes directly from growing up in a postmodern world. And we certainly don't have time to unpack that, but you, you know what it means to live in a postmodern world. You, at any age, live in a postmodern world, which means there is no such thing as objective truth. There isn't. And that's being taught in every which way to this generation. So they are steeped in it. It doesn't take very long having a conversation with a 16-year-old to realize that. You know? Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible told me so, that's why. And so did my mom, you know? Mom may still be teaching that. The Bible still teaches that there's truth about Jesus. This church might, but there is an onslaught 24-7 coming the other way. This generation lives in a post-Christian, post-modern world. Third, for this generation, safe places, safe places and spaces are the expected norm. Gen Z expects the world to be free of negative emotions and will do anything to find it. And sees places free of criticism and debate to be optimal. Everything should be nice. Everybody gets a trophy. And that's nothing new. But fourth, real safety they've discovered is a myth. And that's hammered home every day on social media. From cyberbullying to school shootings to a global pandemic. The world is a scary place. And, you know, I mean, my mantra of the three aspects of what the world is to kids here has been pretty consistent. I, I've told the students this over and over about life. Life is short. Life is hard. But I always add the third one. Life is good. Like in Christ, life is good in all aspects of it. A lot of kids don't know that. Real safety is a myth for them. Fifth, Gen Z is incredibly diverse. In more ways than, than 
racial diversity, diverse in every way, aspects of life, sexuality, all the rest. They're, they're awash in different opinions, and, and that's not bad, but it can be. And challenging for a 12-year-old to sort out and find truth. And then sixth, Gen Z's parents are, as one author describes him, double-minded in terms of what the approach should be. On the one hand, many Gen X millennial parents are helicopter parents, and, and you, you know that, overprotective. I mean, I've always felt like part of my job and my team has been to help parents let go, not inappropriately, because you never let go. I miss my dad every day, you know? But, and, and I've shared with you, the most sacred space on this property for me after 30 years is out here in the parking lot watching parents courageously do that. God has called you to this. The church has got this organized well. Yes, I let you go to Mexico, you know? But then on the other hand, there are parents that are too permissive, especially when it comes to electronics. And most research shows, of course, parent, most parents are kind of in between. Maybe overprotective in a lot of ways that don't really matter, but when it comes to social media and other things, too permissive because they don't have their head in the game. That's one of the reasons why for decades now, one of our mission partners has been the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you're a parent, a grandparent, or you care about kids, you should go to cpyu.org every week and get schooled in what Walt Mueller calls, the head of CPYU, the cultural soup in which our kids swim. And they're in it. And, and um, it's a great resource for the church, and we're partnered with them. And so, that and so much more is at the heart of what this generation has been growing up in and around. And what has the American church's response been to a culture which is incredibly antithetical to the ways of God, of reaching this generation with the gospel, caught in a world just described, a world that, where there is no objective truth, that demands uniformity, a world that's dangerous and confusing of matters of sexuality and and marriage and so much more. A world where parents are struggling to make sense of it all and to stay in the game. And parents are trying as hard as they can here. It's very apparent to me. Well, sadly, the response of the church, again, not to beat it up, but has been, has been to fumble the ball, you know? And why is that? I think, by and large, because we're tired, especially coming out of this global pandemic. You know, and trying to restart and recharge, how can it be? But we don't, we don't have a choice here other than to step up and step in into kids' lives. Because ultimately, that is at the heart of what the Lord is doing in our midst. A number of years ago, uh, a researcher, Christian, Christian uh, uh, Smith, published a landmark study that describes the American church and its practices and what it's producing in the lives of kids. 
it was a super big deal when this thing hit. There was a, a movie that came out and was circulating among the churches, and it really sat as a bellwether warning that, that we in the American church are producing students that are not following Jesus and not solid as they head off into college and beyond. And what he described, what he saw Christian Smith in this landmark work was a group of students and churches supporting what he labeled as a a, a kind of a life philosophy of moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. A superficial, do-good, feel-good spirituality in which a generic God exists, but is, for the most part in real life, in this postmodern world, unnecessary, and certainly ineffective. Here's what he wrote. Moralistic therapeutic deism is colonizing many historic religions, traditions, and almost without anyone noticing, converting believers, especially young believers, from the old faith old faiths to its alternative religious vision of divinely produced personal happiness and interpersonal nicism. I mean, that, that describes our culture. We are determined, it would seem to me, to be happy and nice. And I would suggest that the gospel is anything but that. It's not that at all. And so if we in the American church are producing kids and our main goal is that they would be happy and nice, is it any wonder they're leaving the church in droves? And so the question is, as it's always been, how do we engage this generation in such a way that that the one true God, a God full of signs and mighty wonders, a God whose kingdom is forever, a God whose dominion endures now and always will. That God, how can we help that God come alive in the hearts and minds of kids in such a way that they fall in love with Jesus as Robbie Gilligan gave a a testimony to this morning and live a life in the world, again the word, that flourishes in and through Jesus. Well, I don't have time to unpack all that. Um, But here's the good news. Youth ministry, after 40 years of doing this, at its heart is incredibly simple. It's not easy. In fact, I tell my teams all the time, especially the junior high teams, you are engaged in the most difficult ministry in the church. And from what I can tell, I've done youth ministry in Chicago, Minneapolis, California, Philly in here, this is the hardest place to do it. So you're doing the most difficult ministry in the church in the most difficult place to do it. And, you, and you're doing well. Like God is with you and the church has your back and the kids are into it. So relax. This is not easy, but it's very simple. Youth ministry at its heart is incredibly simple. And here's, here's the other good news before you church, the Holy Spirit has given you exactly what you need to step in to the future, to do this most difficult ministry in the most difficult place in America, to do it. 
He has given you um, a new pastor, <laughs> Jeff. Every morning. Like, I can't believe you're here, man. Like, it's beautiful. The great, I told, I've told Jeff this, the greatest privilege of 40-something years, and I have been privileged to see and do it all. Like, I shared some of that last week. The greatest privilege is working with and for you. He's given you Audrey. I met Audrey when she was 14, wearing an I Heart Jesus hat down in Tijuana. <laughs> Who knew? My office is finally cleaned out and waiting for you. <laughs> uh, she is gifted, godly, and much to the relief of the biggest rising senior class I've seen in 40 years, 20 interns, she's been interviewing them, they're ready to rock and roll for Jesus, the class of 23. Much to their relief, and I've used this, and I don't even know if it makes sense to you or to them, but I've told them that this could be Reverend Bob from Cleveland here who doesn't know you. But this is Audrey, who does know you, Jack, and is ready to get it on next year in a transition year. You have an incredible group of elders I've sat with them, prayed with them, laughed with them, cried with them, and, and God has called them. The call to being an elder is, li- is for life. It's a heavy deal. And in eco, there's more, there's different roles, but there's even more parity between elders and pastors, which is a beautiful thing as it should be. This isn't about the ministers. It's about us. God has gifted this church with incredible... Uh, parents and grandparents. One of the things that struck me when I first came here was parents came to meetings. Never done, experienced that before, you know, and that continues through all these years. And senior interns and Sunday school teachers and all the rest. And so, um, most importantly, we have the Holy Spirit. This church is serious about Christ and biblical truth and taking the gospel to the next generation. And Jesus says to us, I am building my church I am, not you. You are not building my church. I am building my church, Jesus says. And even the gates of hell, even a postmodern world, even a culture full of confusion and nonsense will not stand against it, period. So either Jesus is dreaming big dreams or he's serious about it and can pull it off. I suggest, and you know this, he's serious about it and he will pull it off. So the good news is student ministry, children's ministry, it's, it's quite simple. It's about these things. Prayer. Listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to our kids, to their hearts. It's about modeling for them what it means to be men and women of integrity and stop playing games. And I say that to myself. It's about equipping and discipling. And if you're called to be an equipper or a teacher or whatever, you, you may not say no to the Lord. You, you will say yes. Or your life will be miserable if you're a follower of Jesus because when he calls, he, he's not asking. He's telling you he wants this from you. And it's a joy. 
It's about casting a vision in a kid's heart. There is no greater joy than going to a kid that trusts you and go, I see this in you. You were born for this. This is God at work in and through you. I saw what you did, and I'm so proud of you. And it's about ultimately keeping the main thing the main thing. The punchline to it all is Jesus. That's what it is. Jesus. A number of years ago, I was invited to a church that way, out west of here. And they had had a revolving door, a gazillion different youth pastors. There was a ton of anger and disappointment. I got to know their last one. They had brought this consulting. No offense if you're a consultant, but (laughs) they brought a youth ministry consultant group into Jersey from like Nashville, excuse me. And And they called me out there and they handed me this like, that would be great for like Apple Corporation or something, but this is youth ministry, you know? And I said, what the heck? And and so I go, I don't know anything about consulting, but I've, I've been around the block with youth ministry here in Jersey. So they ended up hiring me. And it was super interesting, because I've been, well, I won't tell you that. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of anger out there. And so we vented that. It was like popping us, sh- shaking up soda can and all went all over the place and it wasn't aimed at me so it was actually kind of fun for a change <laughs> and 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 when the dust cleared and we started talking turkey about what it would mean to do this and get someone in here right i was at home goods with amy and um i found this sign and every time i would go over there i would put that on a music stand like that and go, hey, I know you guys are from Jersey and you work in New York City and you're changing the world and you're the most impressive people on the planet, but this isn't rocket science. You don't need consultants, you know? Let's, let's boil this thing down here. And it was such an inch, I learned a lot meeting with them. We, we went at it for a long time out there and in the end they hired a youth pastor that stuck around for about 10 years and had a good, good ride. May we... Keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus, you know? May we be people of prayer, who listen, who model, who equip, who vision cast, and through it all keep our eyes on Jesus. And if we do that, I'm convinced the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for all the ways that you have revealed yourself, not only to us, but in the hearts and minds and lives of kids. God, I thank you for the testimony of Robbie this morning. God, would you bless him, keep him. Thank you. And thank you for the way that testimony reverberates in hundreds if not thousands of kids who have come through this door. Lord, would you bless the ones that are here now? Would you raise up an army to step into the gap and to grab you by the hand? for the spiritual benefit of this next generation and far beyond. In Christ's name, amen.